Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 5.30. Hello, good evening and welcome to Eyewitness News Live from our studio here at number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka, Accra. My name is Zoe Abubeiduado and this evening I'm here with Akosia Ofewa Opoku. Coming up over the next 90 minutes. And we always vote ourselves out of power, which my colleagues in MPP are doing now. So don't be surprised in the next elections if you don't win. Somebody will say, Maka, Maka, Paslana. Yes, so please, yes, it's very clear, if this illegal goes through, you have lost the election, you know. Speaker of Parliament, Alban Bagwin, des NPP to pass the controversial e-levy and face the wrath of Ghanaians in 2024. Meanwhile, the majority leader, Osei Chairman Sabunsu, claims the Speaker is deliberately frustrating the government to force the Finance Minister to allocate 1.72 billion CDs for Parliament. We're not coming out because we had a speaker who told the finance minister that because he had not given parliament an amount of 1.72 billion that he, the speaker, has requested the finance minister to give to parliament. He, the speaker, was going to ensure that his budget was rejected. That is what happened that day. Also coming up, six more COVID-19 related deaths recorded as the country continues to see a spike in infections. Tonight, we find out factors causing hesitancy and non-compliance. And later, Civil and Local Government Staff Association of Ghana announces a strike slated for January 20, 2022, as it accuses government of not heeding to their demands of better conditions of service. Stay with 97.3 City FM for more on this and other stories on eyewitness news and in business. Ghana Institute of Freight Forwarders urges government to properly equip and improve the conditions of service of personnel at the country's borders to raise more revenue. Netele Nete will join us in the next 15 minutes for more in the world of business. Eyewitness News is live across the country on all our affiliates. We are live in the Upper West Region on Bugli Radio 88.6 in Wa, Upper East, Word FM 88.3 in Zwarungu. In the Northern Region, we are on Dasuma 99.1 FM in Yende. In the Volta region, you can hear us on Holy FM 98.5 in Aflau. In the Eastern region, we're on Right FM 90.1 in Somenya. Ashanti region, Orange FM 107.9 in Kumasi. In the Bono region, you can hear us on Greener FM 95.9 in Sunyane. In the Western region, we are live on Premier 100.5 FM in Takrade. The news is also live around the globe on City Newsroom. Com. Your, your comments are welcome via our WhatsApp line 0549-986-996. You can tweet at me at Zoe Abubedu Ado or at City973. The hashtag is citynewsroom.com. This evening, we'll start with some COVID-19 related stories. Six more persons have died as a result. Akusia. Yes, six more deaths have been recorded, sending Ghana's COVID-19 death toll to 1,269. The latest COVID-19 case count as of December 18 
put Ghana's active cases at 3,165 from an earlier case count of 1,954 as of December 16. The latest numbers show that there are 321 new cases. Now the Ghana Medical Association, GMA, has called on the government to intensify its COVID-19 testing and contact tracing for all positive cases in the country to break the transmission chain. According to the GMA, the escalating daily cases, if not checked, will plunge the country into a potentially deadly fourth wave of the pandemic. Vice President of the GMA, Dr. Justice Youngson, tells City News the government must ensure strict protocol adherence this festive period. Over the last one to two weeks, there has been a very sharp increase in the number of COVID infections in the country or in greater Accra, Ashanti region specifically, but Ghana generally. And uh, we have observed that it is uh, arguably being driven lightly by the Omicron variant. And uh, it has some sort of unique presentations, uh, which if we don't take care, people may confuse with the everyday malaria. So we sought to draw the attention of all and sundry to the fact that we are seeing a lot more people testing positive for COVID-19. Uh, over the last one week, about 50% of all samples tested returned a positive result, which is quite alarming. Two, the Omicron virus is also very highly transmissible and uh, it spread so fast such that uh, it is actually leading to the high numbers we are seeing in this country and elsewhere. So we are warning people that, look, we need to protect ourselves properly during this Christmas activity. There is a need for some strict adherence to the protocols, failure to which uh, the consequences could be there for all of us, individually, family-wise, and country-wise. When we are at the beginnings of a potential wave like we have now, the key thing is that you need to, as quickly as possible, break the chain of transmission. Now, to do that, what it means is that anybody who is infected, as quickly as you can, you need to test and mop up with the contact tracing to pick up all potential persons who have been infected. The persons who may have been infected at the contact doses or she has been dealing with or has been in contact with. And there are levels at which you can even segregate. For example, immediate family will be like top because you are almost always with them. Say your office staff, that will be, say, top. We anticipate that if the current trend continues, time 2022, it may be in for a very difficult time. So we are urging people to actually protect themselves. We are also asking people to take advantage of the vaccination exercises currently ongoing. And uh, we should be very careful in our celebrations, the sort of places we go, the crowds and what have you. Dr. Youngson further called on citizens who may be having flu-like symptoms to seek medical help and not resort to self-medication. And that most of the patients presenting will usually come with things like extreme fatigue, they feel very tired, have some muscle, bodily pains, headaches, and there, to a lesser extent, they have flu-like symptoms. So some might not even be showing too much by way of cough. Yes, there is cough, but some the presentation most people may think it's for malaria or some other thing. So 
We are warning people that they shouldn't resort to self-medication, but they should rather go to their health facility to be examined and diagnosed properly or at worst have a COVID test done to know their status. We don't want people to resort to self-medication. If you take a first aid for a day and things are not getting better, by the second day you should aim at going to see your doctor or a health facility. The GMA has also admonished the various churches to strictly implement all protocols and have all activities outdoor. In our statement, we mentioned churches and all that. We all need to respect the protocols. At the height of the COVID, we all knew the protocols, the sort of things that the state put in place. It is not too late to go back to basics and do some of those things. If you are a church and you want to have a service, and with all due respect, have all your members infected and potentially some being sick and dying. Well, I don't think this is what the good Lord required of us. We are not saying people should not have their service or whatever, but all we are saying is that whatever protocols that are in place, they should be respected. So whatever the Ghana Health Service has put in place already or are going to put up in the coming days or even today or whichever day that they choose to bring something, we should all respect it. If for some reason... They say that, look, a certain event shouldn't come on. Why not? This is a pandemic we are talking about. We don't have to risk the life of our people before we say we are going to do the right thing. We have history to learn from. Last year, things got out of hand post-Christmas. We all saw the result. And then this year, unfortunately, this time around, we also have the Omicron around us, which is causing havoc all over the world. And it's actually in-country now. It's in our communities. People are getting sick. If you look at the Ghana Health Service dashboard, not too long ago, we're not even reporting that. But just a week, the last one week, we've already recorded 10 deaths. You heard there the Vice President of the Ghana Medical Association, Dr. Justice Youngson. The group lead for global health and infectious disease research at the Kumasi Center for Collaborative Research, KCCR, Dr. Jonah Mwesi, says research done so far indicates a reduction in hospitalized people with COVID-19, despite the high number of cases being recorded. He says the research also show that persons who have severe or critical cases are mostly the unvaccinated population. According to him, what is still unclear is if the Omicron variant will still present only an increase in numbers of infected without severe symptoms. He's therefore advising that all who haven't been vaccinated should do so to prevent a case of being hospitalized or severely affected should they test positive. So we'll be hearing from Dr. Amoisi shortly, but before that, let's speak to Dr. Anthony Nsiansari, who is a presidential advisor on health. Good evening, Dr. Nsiansari. Now, um, the issue of cost of testing keeps coming up. Somewhere last year, government gave a list of facilities that can be visited, I mean, for referral <coughs> to testing centers. Now, there have been complaints about how cumbersome the processes are the government facilities. I, I, I don't, I didn't hear you. Well, can oh, we come again? Okay, so I'm saying that there are complaints about how cumbersome the process is. So if someone is feeling, um, I mean, he has the symptoms of COVID-19 and has to go through the government um, facilities, through the system, as government proposed last year, the, 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 the process is so cumbersome um, for them. So that, th- these are some of the complaints that we are having. And we, we are asking if this is something that has come to your attention. Yeah, it depends on how the person goes to the lab. You know, before you can go to a lab, you have to see a physician first. 
So if somebody has signs and symptoms of COVID, the first thing the person should do, or he feels that he is coughing and has uh, chest pain and having problems, which he, he believes that he can be COVID, what the person should do is to go to one of the health facilities. A doctor will see you and then refer you appropriately with a, a lab re, um, request. And then you can go to any of the labs, government labs, and then have your uh, samples taken and the test will be done. So, so very simple like that. But if you get up in the morning and walk to a lab, then it becomes a bit of a problem for anybody in the lab. How is it going to account for the test? What is What are you coming for? Because you cannot refer yourself and go to a lab to go and do a lab test, until, unless maybe it is a private lab. So that's the difference between when you have signs and symptoms and you want to go to the, a lab, which is government lab, which is free, than just walking straight to a private lab, free. So I don't see how cumbersome it is. And fortunately, there are even some of the hospitals where we have treatment centers who are running clinics. But they are running the clinics for people who have already positive, and then you go there, or you go there with that suspected signs and symptoms of COVID-19. They will look at you, uh, examine you, take your history, and then refer you for lab investigation. Now, the labs are plenty. There are a lot of labs in a lot of uh, government health facilities and also in the CHAC facilities, which can assess. The referral or um, doing a COVID-19 test is done at the discretion of the doctor. What if the doctor doesn't propose that you should do a COVID-19 test, but you, you want to do it just to be sure? You want to do it just that you want to be sure? Yes. Then that is not referral. That is, you are going to do a test for yourself, like you are going to do any test that you, you want to check yourself and you want to go to any of the private labs to do a test. It's quite different. Because you cannot walk to any hospital lab and say, I'm coming to do a lab test. No, not a lab. So you have seen the doctor, but the doctor doesn't propose that you should do a COVID-19 test. Yeah, because maybe the doctor doesn't think you have COVID-19. <laughs> the, doctor, the doctor is supposed to examine you, take your history, examine you, and then either will let you go to a lab, this lab or this lab. That's how medicine is done. All right. So what if you have been exposed to someone who has COVID-19? Do you still go through the same that process is, of seeing a doctor before doing the test? That is a different ball game altogether. That is that you are a contact to a positive COVID-19 uh, patient. That one is a system in place at the district level, which would then add two things. And that they will tell you to that you have to have contact to a patient, somebody who is positive. So watch, look at these signs and symptoms. When you have any of them, walk to uh, come and then uh, call us or come to any hospital and the test will be taken. Or you are exposed, then you can go to any hospital and say that you've been exposed to a COVID-19 patient. Any doctor or any health professional who is there will then refer you to a doctor, and doctor will then give you a request for COVID-19 test. But if you decide that you are exposed to a COVID-19 patient and you want to go and do your private lab, go to a private lab to go and do a test, it's a different thing altogether. There have been instances where people, I mean, 
ask of proof of exposure. I mean, so that they can trace that you actually were contacted to, to um, you were exposed to someone who had COVID-19. And that is something that frustrates people who go to the government facilities. Oh, what is the frustration in this? You said that you've been exposed to somebody. Yes. So, so person, you see, because we have a system, we have a data system where anybody who has gone for a test, and you are positive or negative, you go into what you call the SOMA system, both private and public labs. So they put your name and your data that so-and-so did, this person did a test and is positive. And what is normally done is that it triggers off that such a person living at GL1 or something, something, zero something, this number is positive. And then the districts get that data. They are supposed to follow up on that patient if he's at home. Because we have to also to make sure that the person who is positive, either he's asymptomatic or he has mild illness or has moderate illness or severe illness, then you will be placed accordingly into care in one of the treatment centers. That is the flow of what happens in the management of any COVID patient, uh, positive patient. And then the district then follows up the contacts of those people. Then other they will say, that, okay, let's go and take samples of the immediate contacts. And then when the immediate contact is also positive, then you continue the chain to look up for the people who have been exposed from that primary source. But if anybody gets up, and they said, I'm going to do a test. And uh, he walked to any hospital that oh, I just came here, just coming for a COVID test. In a private lab, yes, because they are also looking, apart from anything, they are looking for money. So they will go through a system, write your name, and maybe give you a request there, and then put your name on the summons, and then you do the test. But for government institutions, they will ask you to see a doctor to give you the request. And when you go there, you are supposed to tell the doctor that, I've been exposed to somebody about two or three days ago. He has cough and all these things. He's come out positive. So I'm coming to check if I'm positive or not. Doctor, and then the system then starts. The process you have outlined is quite a lot. Um, usually, what is the turnaround time for getting your results? I mean, when you go to test at the, the government facilities? Oh, now within 24 or 48 hours, you get your results. Okay, so um, let me ask you about something that's not related to the testing. Now, churches um, have a lot of numbers. And, you know, usually do, during the Christmas season and the New Year, we have higher numbers in churches. We have spoken to you about um, what will be done for persons who are going to organize events, but we haven't really dealt with churches or haven't really heard much about what plans have been put in place with regards to churches organizing their end-of-year services and all that. I have personally seen some churches where the protocols are not um, heeded to, no nose mask at all. What is government doing or going to do to ensure that the um, monitoring exercise that it's doing for these um, events will be same will be done for churches. Yeah, first I would say that in fact maybe you have seen one or two churches. I've seen also gone to some churches where they abide by the safety protocols to the letter. Sometimes you see the choristers who maybe will remove their mask. Any church I go to and I see choristers remove their mask, I speak to the pastor and that is not 
go to for the choristers when they are singing. That's a time that you can produce a lot of uh, particles when you are singing or coughing or, or sneezing. So it is just a, a, trying to make sure that the leadership of the church understand. I will say here that the churches have done very, very well. The churches and so the mosque, the Christian and then the Muslim community have done very well so far as this COVID is concerned. Two, um, from all what has happened, we have also not seen a lot, say, an uh, overt outbreak in any of these churches. But going into Christmas festivities, we remember that in 2020, uh, we didn't even allow, uh, not, I think 2020 years, church services, uh, crossovers and all these things were restricted. People did crossovers online, virtual crossovers. This year, we have seen that a lot of people want to do the actual in-person crossovers. As the president said a week ago, I think last week, Wednesday, he said that any function which, or any festivity which wants to people want to do during this Christmas festivity, as much as possible, should be done outdoors. So we're encouraging all the church leadership that they should do all these activities outside. Luckily, we are in the dry season, we are in the summertime season, so there's no rain. And it's done mostly in the night. So when you are in the night, you don't even need canopies during the night to sit under because there's no sun. So we are now telling all the church leaders tomorrow, like I'll also speak to some of their leadership. We have a forum where, where they meet quite regularly, that they should do all these uh, crossovers and all the festivities that they want to do the Christmas period outdoors and following the safety protocols, wearing of masks, using sanitizers, and making sure that they are well spaced so that this. Uh, they will have a lot of social distancing. And then anybody who is singing or preaching or anything should be in mask. And then they will all be safe. So churches, as far as I'm concerned, is the easiest place to monitor this. Thing because every church has usher. The, uh, the ushers is the responsibility of the ushers to be able to go around and be like marshals, COVID-19 marshals, so that they can be able to tell people who are not wearing their masks properly to put on their masks. If you are uh, not... Uh, so well distance, they can tell you to social distance, and those who are not following the safety protocols will then follow it. Mm. So we are so relying it's on difficult to monitor. Mm. The we rely solely on the church leadership, because I've always been saying, if you are a pastor in charge of a church and you don't allow your people to follow the safety protocols, the next Sunday, if half of your church becomes sick, and nobody will come to the church for you to preach. All right, thank you. It's very, and they, they, they look at these things very serious. So I don't have much programs with churches. Hmm. Where we have problems are uh, unorganized or not too well organized social events, like concerts, like clubs. That is where we are working together with the Ghana Tourism Authority. And we're also working together with the National Security Agency so that we can monitor these things during the Christmas festivities. We had a meeting yesterday. They also met this afternoon of Ghana Health Service and all sorts of people. And we want to take advantage of the social festivities during Christmas to also vaccinate anybody who wants to be vaccinated. So we are going to take advantage of it to also take the vaccines to the doorsteps 
and then to the people so that those who don't have time to go and queue will have the vaccines where they, wherever they are. The Ghana Health Service indicated to us yesterday <coughs> that um, they had a team that was monitoring the events that you mentioned. But with churches, you are relying on leadership of the churches and ushers to do the monitoring for government. Is that it? Yeah, they've been doing quite well. So far as some of us are concerned, the church leadership through their ushers, the pastors, and then the deacons and the rest, follow rules and regulations. I think they, they are monitoring themselves very, very, very well. And I will say, I will say, I will commend them for what they have been doing so far. Few churches, yes, are, uh, who, are, who are not conforming. Normally when we inform the leadership, they have a, a committee, um, a union which works together and they pray together and everything. They normally inform the other members. But the organized churches, they have a strong leadership where they can send letters and send the pastoral letters to, to their parishioners, and it works. But as much as possible, as we did earlier on when there was a pandemic, uh, we have the outbreak. You know, the churches are regulated by the metropolitan, municipal, and district assemblies. So they also send people around to make sure that when we started initially that they are following protocols, they will also be assisting in this direction. But we don't want to go and put mm. police or the soldiers to go to churches to go and make sure that people are doing the right thing. They are the most organized uh, people that are, we have ever seen. I mean, it's a, an organized community. Any church is very organized. And we want to let them follow that organization to make sure that they monitor. Self-monitoring is better than external monitoring most of the cases. Grateful for your time, Dr. Anthony Insiasari. He's a presidential advisor on health. This is 97.3 CTFM. You're still listening to Eyewitness News. We take a break here. We'll return with more stories. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. Let's do some messages you've been sending in. AU Farouk in Tamale North says, Indeed, it seems government is not doing enough to protect the citizenry from COVID-19. Um, Ghanian, a Ghanaian citizen in Amfuega, you didn't send in your name, but you say, If Speaker Babbing is sick and cannot sit for a long time, then he's not fit for the job and should resign. Amisku Spileli from Kaswa says, As we celebrate the Christmas... I'll plead that we observe the safety protocols to protect us from COVID-19 and the Omicron variants since Ghana needs all of us alive to develop the country. Babamu in Tamale says, actually, the advice given by the GMA is welcoming news. Is welcoming news. I entreat persons to continue to observe the protocols and to also get vaccinated. Indeed, life is big wealth. The last one from Jones Adoboy in La says, we have let our guard down for too long, as if there is nothing at stake. Surprisingly, those who are supposed to know better seem to be the worst culprits. Thank you very much, Akusia. Now, a Ghanaian citizen, Henry Oseakutu, has applied to the High Court to review government's announced protocols on COVID-19, describing them as unlawful and unreasonable. You recall that um, the National Communications Officer for the NDC 
um, and three other citizens also sued government for something similar. Let's speak to the applicant, Henry Osei Akuto, for more on what um, his suit entails. Good evening, sir. Thanks for joining us on Eyewitness News. Now, government has explained that the reason for um, doing this is because um, there's a public health emergency and it has to protect its citizens. Why have you, um, um, why are you describing government's actions as unreasonable? Thank you very much, and then um, a very good evening to your listeners. Um, for me, I have several reasons, but let me go straight to the point. In fact, my reasons for challenging government is one, I think the vaccination, okay, amounts to the imposition of restrictions on the freedom of movement as enshrined in the, in the constitution, that is article 21, 1G of the 1982 constitution. Again, that even where restrictions can be imposed on the freedom of movement, the constitution and the imposition restriction act provides a procedure to be followed, okay? And such procedure in the issuance of the, uh, is, in fact, such procedure is the issuance of um, 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 executive instrument, okay, proud to the imposition of restriction. However, however, in this instance, there has not been anything like uh, 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 an executive instrument, you know, that has been issued allowing for the imposition of the said restrictions, which is in the mandatory uh, 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 vaccination. Okay, my sister. And so, so if there's an executive uh, instrument, are you okay with that? What I'm saying is that, you know, the, the, the right procedures must be followed. And so that is why I'm seeking a judicial review from a competent court of jurisdiction. You understand? Again, you know, again, therefore, uh, 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 I'm of the view that um, the set directives by the president and the Ghana Health Service are unlawful. And for me, it's unconstitutional. Okay, and 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 you know um, we are all citizens of Ghana, and we wouldn't want you know citizens of Ghana coming in or moving out of the country uh, uh, um, and be restricted whatsoever. Um, looking at the 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 the, the mandatory vaccination that uh, um, the the government of Ghana and then the I mean the uh, Ghana Health Service and then the Ghana uh, Airport is taking. Um, to do from, I mean, to, um, I mean, making sure that Ghanaians go through this. I don't think that is right. I don't think it's it's lawful. And uh, um, I, w I want to seek redress, or I want the court, you know, to come in and then tell us all whether it's right or mm. not. But government says that if you're not going to vaccinate, then don't come at all. How difficult is that? It is not about don't come or not. It's not about that. I'm looking at the law, okay? This country is governed by law, and 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 I believe um, the right procedures and the right laws must be applied at the right time. You can't just you know uh, uh, um, just uh, go ahead and then uh, telling Ghanaians that hey, this is what I want you to do, whether you like it or not. I don't think that that is right. So that what laws the are they infringing on? Oh, upon they are infringing upon their human rights, of course. But then me, um, like I told you, okay. The constitution also demands that <clears throat> the constitution also demands that 
the administrative officers must act fairly and reasonable in the conduct of their duties. When you look at the Act 23 of the 19, I mean the Article 23 of the 1992 Constitution, it tells you that straight. And I don't think uh, uh, um, what they are doing now, the Ministry of Health, the Ghana Health Service, the Ghana Airport, uh, uh, and for that matter, the President, what they are doing, uh, for me, is right. It, 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 it goes contrary to, to the provisions you know, provided in the Constitution. So who are the defendants? Come again? Who are the defendants in this case? The respondents are um, the, the president, the, the Ghana Health Service, and the um, Ghana Airport Company Limited. Why the Ghana Airport? What, what's their role in this? You know, whatever is going on here, um, you know, they've been given the directives, okay, and they are making sure that travelers, that is those, I mean, Ghanaians coming from, I mean, coming in and going out, you know, they make sure these things are done and it is done at the airport. And so they are, you know, going by these, these instructions or directives given by the Ghana Health Service and the president. Thank you very much. Um, you had Henry Osei Akuto, who has sued the Ghana Health Service, the Ghana Airports Company, and he has described um, government's mandatory vaccination exercise as unlawful and unreasonable. And he is asking the court to declare that the directives are unlawful and to quash same. We'll take another break here. We'll return with more stories. Please don't go away. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back to some other stories now. The commander for the Anya District Police Command has disclosed that MTTD officers have been deployed to the Ablekuma Olebu Pokwase stretch to ensure compliance to road regulations, particularly during the festive season. This initiative is to reduce the increase in road crashes on the stretch by getting drivers to comply with a speed limit of 50 kilometers per hour on the stretch. The Ablekuma Olebu Pokwase stretch has in recent times recorded a number of pedestrian knockdowns and many fatal accidents. Speaking to City News ahead of a speed enforcement exercise by the War Against Indisciplined Team on the stretch, District Commander for the Anya Police Command, DSP Albert Boating Mehu, warned drivers to drive within specified speed limits. In the mornings, when uh, commuters and drivers are heading towards uh, Accra, from the Pukwasi end towards Awoshibayad, the road is now a bit smooth. So accidents that occur, they are mostly, uh, you, you wouldn't have these, uh, these grazing, petty, petty accidents. It's uh, few and far between, but because of the speeding, Accidents happen, as you can see from our yard here. We have uh, fatalities, if not fatalities, we have uh, vehicles badly damaged. But uh, what, we, what we do now is, at the intersections, during the peak periods, we have men there. When even the traffic goes off, they'll be there to control the traffic. What happens is sometimes after the intersection, you will go to the scene, they'll say there's, there's been an accident. You go, you assess the accident, and you will see that from the impact, the person it's more likely to be speeding. After the national one, we'll, we'll get resources and we'll keep on with it because 
uh, the exercise last week. There's been no, we've not uh, recorded any such accident. We, we, we started something prior to your coming, so we'll, we'll sustain it. All I will say is we should all take care and drive within the stipulated uh, speed limits. You heard the, the district commander for the Anya Police Command, DSP Albert Boating Mahu. Now, pressure group Occupy Ghana has asked the Ghana Police Service to ensure the prosecution of members of parliament who were engaged in the brawl on the floor of parliament on Monday night. A fight broke out between the lawmakers in the chamber during a vote on the proposed tax on electronic tra- transfer that has divided the house for weeks. According to the group, the violence was an absolute embarrassment to the nation and that an apology cannot be used to appease citizens. A leading member of the group, Sydney Casley Hayford, has been speaking to City News. Well, we have, we have told the police exactly what the law is and where they can find authority to do the prosecution. If you look in our PR, we have said very clearly that there are certain sections of the Constitution that gives them the authority to prove parliament. The other thing also is that if the police want to investigate it, they can go through the Speaker of Parliament and tell him they have an issue which border on criminality, which they want to investigate. And therefore, they expect the Speaker to release the, the persons involved in order for them to carry on their work. The Speaker will then decide whether he wants to release them or not. So there are procedures in place which the police can use if they want to. They must have an appetite to prosecute. If they don't have that appetite, there's very little anybody can do. It's crime. And when it's, when it's a crime, Parliament cannot say that it's a crime that happens in our, our, uh, our, our chamber. And so nobody can prosecute it. Look, the president is... You heard the leading member of Prussia Group, Occupy Ghana, Sydney Casely Hayford. Now, the Civil and Local Government Staff Association of Ghana has threatened to embark on a strike next month, um, that's January 20, 2022, to press home um, better conditions of service. Now, the group alleges uh, that it's been over a year since they engaged the finance ministry, but um, there hasn't been any communication yet. Let's speak to Bright Rekubobe, who is Deputy Minister um, in charge of employment and labor relations. Good evening, sir. Now, why is government not engaging Clogsag? Good evening, uh, Zoe, and good evening to your cherished listener. The issue is not about government not engaging Clogsag. We are doing our best in in, in engaging Clogsag, uh, except that the issue before us it's not uh, one ministry that resolves it. It is interministerial. In fact, it's gone as high as to the presidency and referred to the office of the senior presidential advisor. So we, we, are, we are engaging. We are engaging. And only this afternoon, uh, our attention was drawn. In fact, my attention was drawn by one of your sister stations that Clocksack has run out of patience and have issued mm. uh, that communique. So, when was the last uh, one, time you engaged them? Well, I can't get a specific date, but that's about last week, yes. yes. Last week? Last week, yes. 
Because they said it's been almost a year. Okay, well, this is the Ministry of Finance. Uh, okay, so at, at last week's meeting, what was discussed? Because if you came to, um, I mean, a good resolution, I don't think they would have embarked or decided to embark on a, um, a strike. They, they have not decided to embark on strike. They have given us notice that if we don't resolve the matters before a certain deadline, then their patients will be run out completely. Which deadline? So what, what deadline do you have? They've given us up to, if it's correct, my attention was drawn to this by a sister station, and I saw the communique, which says that 20th of January, between now and 20th, we will continue to engage. We are engaging, except that the name of the game is negotiation. So somebody is demanding something from you. You also give a counter proposal. So that's what is happening. They think that the process is, is unduly being delayed. And that's why they've given us ultimatum. It's very normal in negotiations, God willing. We'll engage them come uh, early next year, between now and end of year, early next year. So even the 20th may not even reach, they will come to a truce. It's been almost a year and nothing concrete has come out of it. What is the indication that the few weeks that you have, you're going to um, arrive at a conclusion that will um, let them call off their strike? Zuri, I am telling you that the name of the game is negotiation. What has happened now, it's, 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 it's not anything new that happens to us. Normally, when the unions run out of patience, they issue statements like this. But it doesn't give and government it, a good name. No, if, if, if what they are requesting was there, you easily have given it to them. It, this happens not only in government, even in our homes. If your children are demanding something you don't have, sometimes they become angry. These are very normal things. We just have to... And so once they have shown that uh, anger... Now they have shown us that they are, their patience is running out. They are following the law. They have given us everything. It's a legitimate call. And we will meet and resolve this. If things, so you would recall that in the last two, three months, finance ministry, they are the same people coming out with budget and so on. So many activities compete for the same time that we need to be talking about this. However, this is also an important matter which we are dealing with. So you give her, they have given us 20th. Government is saying that between now and the 20th, we will do our best and ensure that we come to a, 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 an amicable resolution where parties is a win-win situation for, for all parties. What demands are they making? Well, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to go into that detail for now. It's a communicate they issued, uh, which you know, has come to my attention this afternoon. I'm here to discuss the details with my minister and the team, and then we'll, we'll probably come out. Thank you very much, sir. Welcome. You heard the Deputy Employment and Labor Relations Minister, Bright Riku Brobe. Now, news just coming in is that the NDCMP for Ijumakun Inyanisiam constituency, Keselato Forcing, has been charged for causing financial loss to the state. And I have my producer producer here with me, Sixtus Dongulo, to give us details of what that's youth entails. Sixtus. Yes, um, Zoe, if, uh, the rich that we are seeing, this is um, in the High Court, Accra, and it was filed uh, today, uh, 23rd. December 2021 
um, around 1.30 in the afternoon. Uh, there are three defendants, um, Keselato Forsen, who is the ranking member on Parliament's Finance Committee, but he's been sued um, in a, a previous capacity, capacity okay. as a Deputy Finance Minister. You have Sylvester um, Animani and Richard Japa. Now, Sylvester Animani was um, Chief Director of the Ministry of Health. This was around um, 2017, at the time that uh, Mr. Atu Fossen was uh, Deputy Minister for Health. And the third person, Richard Jakpa, was the local uh, representative of a company uh, described itself as a Big C General Trading Limited, um, which was Dubai-based. Now, there are five counts of criminal offences that we have, we have seen uh, in, in, in this, signed by the Director of Public Prosecutions, Yvonne Atakrao Obuobisa, for the um, Attorney General. Count one has to do with willfully causing financial loss to the Republic, contrary to Section 179A3A of the Criminal Offences Act. And the particulars of that offence are that case Latu forcing between August 2014 and April 2016 in Accra, in the Greater Accra region of the Republic of Ghana, willfully caused financial loss of 2,370,000 uh, euros to the Republic by authorizing irrevocable letters of credit valued at 3.9 uh, euros to be established, out of which payments amounting to 2.37 uh, 370 euros were made to Big C General Trading Limited of Dubai for the supply of vehicles purporting to be ambulances without due course and authorization. Uh, count two is an abatement of crime, namely willfully causing financial loss to the Republic contrary to um, sections 21 and 179A, 3A of the uh, Criminal Offences Act 1960. And uh, Particulars of that offence are that Sylvester Animana, between August 2014 and April 2016, in Accra, in the Greater Accra region of the Republic of Ghana, abetted Kesulato Forsen to willfully cause financial loss of 2.370 euros to the Republic by facilitating. Uh, Kessel Atuforsen's authorization of irrevocable letters of credit under which payments were made to Big C General Trading Limited of Dubai for the supply of vehicles purporting to be ambulances without due course and authorization. Count 3 will be willfully causing financial loss to the Republic, uh, contrary to the same provisions, and the particulars are against um, Richard Jakpa, also in the same sum that uh, we have uh, referenced and between the same period of August 2014 and April 2016. Now, count four is contravention of the Public Procurement Act 2003 contrary to Section 92.2b of the Public Procurement Act and the particulars are against um, Sylvester um, Animana. Uh, this happened in November 2012, allegedly in Accra in the Greater Accra region of the Republic of Ghana, that he breached the Public Procurement Act by making false representations in order to indirectly influence the procurement processes for the purposes of obtaining an unfair advantage in the award of a single-sourced 
contract to Big C General Trading Limited of Dubai for the supply of the said ambulances. Now, count five, which is also against Kessel Atto Forcing, is intentionally misapplying public property contrary to Section 1-2 of the Public Property Protection Act 1977, SMCD 140. Um, Kessel Atto Forcing between 2014 and 2016 in Accra um, the same sums that we have seen causing uh, irrevocable letters of credit to be established against the budget of the Ministry of Health in favor of Big C Trading mm. uh, Limited of Dubai for the supply of same ambulances. So th this is a read that has been issued in the name of the Republic against the three, uh, two public officials and uh, a businessman mm. and uh, now uh, member of parliament for Ejumako uh, Keselatu Fosin, mm. uh, ranking on the finance committee. Okay. Uh, he he is the 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 big fish in the soup. <laughs> All right, so this is um, an issue that we'll be following up on and bring you a breakdown or details of when all these things happen. For now, though, it's time to bring you the business news. Netili Nete joins us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. City time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, brought to you by Vodafone and powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nettie Nettie. Let's settle for the details. The Ghana Institute of Freight Forwarders is calling on governments to properly equip and improve the conditions of service of personnel at the country's borders. According to the Institute, this will help them adequately operate and raise more revenue for the government. As part of government's revenue mobilization drive, some new taxes and policies were introduced in the 2022 budget. But speaking to City Business News, Chairman of the Tema Chapter of the Ghana Institute of Freight Forwarders, Johnny Mante, stressed that addressing the concerns at the borders could significantly improve government's revenues. I think government knows where to find the money. I think, on the other hand, I would say it's not being proactive enough. Because if you see the issue with, and it's not as if if you go to the entry point or our frontiers, that it's not as if the officers are not working, but the conditions in which these guys find themselves. I've been to every border post within the country. And if you see the kind of conditions in which these guys live in, I mean, how there are certain places that they don't even have vehicles to be able to, police or man the borders the logistics is non-existent so how do you expect people to be collecting 3.5 billion 11 billion dollars Ghana cities for you with nothing to, to 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 work with so that is a key point a key factor government should look at resourcing customs officers give them all the necessary logistics they need trust you me give them double the revenue target they will give, that you give them and they will exceed it and it's it's it's, it's a given this is something that we did they know so just apply uh, give them the logistics and they, they would they would just deliver that was the chairman of the tema chapter of the ghana institute of freight forwarders johnny Mante. provisional figures released by the ghana statistical service show that ghana's economy including oil and gas grew by 6.6 percent in the third quarter which is from july to september the GDP growth rate without oil and gas for the third quarter 2021 was 8.6%, which compares to the same period in 2020 with a negative growth rate of 3.0. Here's government statistician Professor Samuel Kobnaini with a breakdown. 
Science point of view, again looking at it from both an oil and a non-oil perspective, we see an increase of 6.6 percentage point between the third quarter 2020 and the third quarter 2021, specifically with the third quarter 2020 standing at 40,440.3 million, increasing by about 3,000 million to 43,093.5 million for the third quarter of 2021. From a non-oil perspective, we see also about a 3,000 million change between the third quarter 2020 and the third quarter 2021. The 6.6 percentage growth rate that we've recorded for the third quarter of 2021 is about the closest that we've got even in the 2020 period when COVID-19 was just resetting. Indeed, in the first quarter of 2020, just ahead of the COVID-19 GDP for the period that is between the first quarter of 2019 and the first quarter of 2020, GDP was 7.0%. So this is the first time that we've recorded GDP growth rates that are higher than the GDP growth rate that we recorded throughout the COVID-19 period and has even edged closer to the GDP growth rate that we recorded during the pre-COVID-19 era. That was the government statistician, Professor Samuel Kobnaini. The Ghana Chamber of Construction Industries commending governments for ongoing payments to contractors across the country for monies owed them in the previous years. According to the Chamber, monies up to 1 million Ghana cities are currently being paid by government. Local contractors have for years now been complaining about the lack of payment or the delay in payment to its members for work done. In an interview with City Business News on the ongoing payments, the Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana Chamber of Construction Industry, Manuel Cherry, called on governments to factor in construction works that are valued at over 1 million Ghana cities. Uh, as we speak now, there is a good faith being shown that we are seeing something good at the end of the tunnel happening, even though it's not that much as we expected, but half a loaf, they say, is better than none. Because uh, today, I can boldly say that there's payment ongoing from zero to one million Ghana cities to all entry payment certificates, which has been uh, stalled in the office of the road ministry for these past years. So government has take, is taking steps to clear all outstanding liability of zero to one million Ghana cities certificates. Even though it's a good start, but honestly speaking, as I said earlier, uh, half a loaf, they say, is better than none. So we must thank government for this bold initiative taken, but the larger chunk of the payments is from one million and above, which I believe the minister has also uh, uh, documented that the documents, uh, the processes and what I view that I know has been completed and about forwarding to uh, Fidelity Bank and then they eat allies. They're hoping very soon that that also will be starting. But will be so much glad, be a miracle before the end of the year, will be so much glad this, the one million and above of also has been tagged based with. That was the CEO of the Ghana Chamber of Construction Industry, Emmanuel Cherry. As part of efforts to ensure the delivery of quality courier services in the country, the Postal and Courier Services Regulatory Commission is urging all operators to adopt digitalization to remain relevant and stay competitive. 
According to the Commission, the rapid advancement of digital technologies has fundamentally changed the competitive dynamics of the logistics service industry and forced the service to digitalize. Chairman of the Commission, Nana Ampeni Boateng Chum II, spoke to City Business News on the sidelines of a stakeholder meeting to deliberate on ways to position the industry to deliver quality courier services. You can send a message that the items are ready on the way or wherever they are online. So that makes the, the, the work faster and uh, delivery quicker. Yeah, so there's a need for operators to uh, apply uh, ICT in, in whatever they are doing yes, for efficiency and uh, quality of service. Yeah. Uh, in the wake of the COVID-19, e-commerce has gone up. People want to sit in the comfort of their homes and receive their parcels. So uh, a lot of people uh, have taken advantage that hey, there's business booming in e-commerce. But they have forgotten that there's uh, a regulator who has to give them licenses before they can operate. That was the chairman of the Postal and Courier Services Regulatory Commission, Nana Amampeni Boateng Chum II. Managing Director of Calbank, Filippo Redu, has assured of his outfit's commitment to reinforce its retail strategy in 2022 in order to ensure that the presence of the bank is felt nationwide. According to him, though most of the strategies of the bank were achieved this year, it did not reflect in the revenue targets of the bank envisaged for 2021. Speaking on the sidelines of the bank's end-of-year Thanksgiving service in Accra, Managing Director of Calbank, Filippo Redu, also pledged the bank's commitment to improve on its loan strategy and diversify its deposits to achieve its business targets. The banking sector this year has been a very dynamic sector. Uh, we've seen the influence of fintechs, we've seen the influence of other financial institutions playing a significant role and the, the sector having become so dynamic, which means that we have to ensure that we stay ahead of the market. In 2022, we will reinforce all the initiatives that we set for ourselves for 2021. So quite a number of initiatives have been put in place to ensure that we have a, a structured and a programmed way of ensuring that we develop our people. So in 2022, we would emphasize on that. We would also emphasize on our retail strategy, which as you can all see, we are quite expanding on that and deepening that strategy to ensure that as a bank, our presence is felt nationwide. As a bank, we will be able to ride on that strategy to achieve certain key strategic initiatives, such as we diversify our deposit base, we diversify our loan base, and also ensure that we are able to attract cheap deposits. That was the managing director of Carl Bank, Philip Oredu. And that'll be all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was brought to you by Vodafone, Together We Can, and powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netilinete. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
some 24 minutes to 7 o'clock GMT. Tonight on Point Blank, we are taking you to Parliament. Now, the Speaker, Albang Babin, has said that the MPP is bound to lose the 2024 general elections if it manages to get the controversial electronic transfer levy bill passed by Parliament. According to him, the MPP is voting itself out of power with some of its policies, such as the e-levy. Now, he spoke for the first time on the controversy and brought in Parliament at Forum with the former MPs on Thursday. We should move away from this slavish, unbridled attachment to party interests, not national interests, not the interests of the people. Because some people who don't have the experience that you have, as you go around trying to convince Ghanaians to vote for your party and you, others with big packets are facilitating your parties. And when you win power, they get the positions, not you. So they don't have that culture. They don't have that understanding. And there's that missing link. And they come to impose their ideas on you to vote the way to take party interest first, not Ghana first. And we always vote ourselves out of power, which my colleagues in MPP are doing now. So don't be surprised in the next elections if you don't win. Somebody will say, Maka, Maka, Pass Yes, so please. Oh, yes, it's very clear. If this your illegal goes through, you have lost the election. You know. Never allow myself to use as an errand boy of any president. It won't happen. I've been given a privileged opportunity to bring a change to help the good people of Ghana. I pledge to do nothing but that. Because of leadership, we don't always come out to respond. If we do and give you the figures and the documents to go to, you'll be shocked. said not to be a member of parliament. That's right. I'm not a member of parliament. And that I cannot take decisions for members of parliament. You all heard it when I gave a directive. It's the parliament that should do it. I'm being blamed today for being the cause of parliament not being able to take a decision on the e-levy. And which led to a, a brow which the nasty scenes that we all saw. But you know, as I stand, you can see me looking fresh and healthy. That doesn't mean that I'm like before. Even my age alone will not allow me to behave like how I used to behave. And so I can start sitting from morning, but after six, seven, the rest, I need the rest. And that's why I have deputies. And I've held meetings with the deputies. And I said, I've gone through the meal. I was deputy. I experienced some things. I don't want you to experience that. I will build you because my reading of literature and my experience with various parliaments, I prefer the collegiate speakership, not the sole speaker of the British model. I believe the French model 
where there's a collegiate, a speaker and deputies, they are doing specific roles to play in the affairs of the management of the house. That is what I was going to do to my colleagues, and that is what I've been doing and building them up. And that is why I send them to represent me at international conferences. Before, if you are a second duty speaker, you only attend things in ECOWAS. If you are a first duty speaker, Africa is a speaker who goes international. I said it will happen under my leadership. So all my colleagues have traveled everywhere. Leading delegations. Everybody here is aware. The clerk is here. But we have conditions of service. It's been there before I became speaker. I have not taken decision in any of them. And you all know we don't fix our per diems. But what are you reading? The good people of Ghana don't know about this. Public servants themselves benefit from those. Whether it's per diem or health facilities. Because it's Bagun that is now speaker. It's a different thing altogether. That kind of discriminatory society, it will work under my leadership. It will not. It was for good reason I took people like Kofi Atto Amwate to be with me. I couldn't have looking at the way things were in the society because you need small transition. As my friends in the NPP, and I have many friends in the NPP to join me because of the current pressures at my secretariat. Was either had joined at my secretariat, you know, because you'll be compelled to do what is against your will, they will do it. And you see, even now, correspondence in parliament, in social media every day. Where do you think they are coming from? It's people who are here against the leadership of Honorable Bergwin, who are leaking them out. But you have a lot of wealth, wealth not just of knowledge, of humanity, of experience that we need to tap from. Even the board, we have four members at the speaker appoints to be members of the board from outside. This board, I share them, MPP one, NDC one. The other boards, it was only one party. The last board, it was Abina Asari and Hackman. This board, I decided to rely on you again. And I took Abraham Osei Edu and Johnson Asidu in Ketia. When the media, media they are publishing, they talk about me and Johnson Asidu in Ketia. They don't add Osei Chemin Sebozu and Abraham Osei Edu. This is the impartial, independent media we have. You know, we 
you don't, it, it doesn't help anybody. I scarcely get the opportunity to talk to you, and that is why I'm talking for quite a long time. But we have organized a few things to make sure that you are at least comfortable here, convenient. You can go on with the, the discussion. The turbulence, as I said, is a transitional thing. It will come to pass. I can give you a copy of my uh, closing remarks, which when I was leaving, I passed through my uh, usher to give to them that it was after 10, the 9th, and I had to go and take a rest because you delayed in sitting. I had to compel the house to sit after 2, and I presided. I said, let's discuss E-Levy. You said, no, vary the order of business. I kept on varying. We did about six important items, approving other loans, until I had to hand over, getting to uh, 6.30, to the first deputy speaker. Now they say I refuse to preside. And that is why some numbers were not in the house. I'm not a chief whip of any party. I'm not entitled to bring members to the house. That's not my duty. I'm to preside and apply the rules. And I've applied them fairly, according to my understanding, through literature, through experience. And I'm not even sure that the members listened to what I read that day about the rules. And so I see, see them acting contrary to my guidance. It's not for me to take a decision for the house. That is true. It's for me to guide the house. And so it's not for me to come and say, oh, the recession of the decision to uh, reject the budget was wrong or that way. I have to go through only procedure, whether they did the thing according to the rules and procedure of the house. Is the house that I will take the decision through another motion for it to be either confirmed or rejected or rescinded. It's not for the speaker. I'm saying this to you because there's a lot of this confusion in civil society and they are saying that I haven't landed. I should have landed by saying whether it was wrong. Yes, the procedures were breached and I was clear in that. But it's not for me to say the decision by the house is wrong. It's for the house itself to go through it and do that. So you heard the interesting remarks from the Speaker of Parliament, Alban Bagbin, who has spoken for the first time after that controversy and brawl in Parliament. He was speaking at a forum with former MPs today. Whilst the Speaker was um, addressing the former MPs, the Majority Leader, Ose Chayman Sabunsu, um, was also addressing the press. He had a press conference and he questioned the motives of the Speaker of Parliament in relation to the impasse that characterized business in Parliament during the just ended budget meeting. Have a listen. We are where we are, in my view, uh, because of the fact that the Speaker left without any communication. And the second day, when we adjourned to 9 o'clock, um, I called him. Um, he couldn't pick for whatever reason. And sometimes he calls me. Sometimes he calls me when he sees my, my, my call that 
he might have missed. But on Tuesday, he didn't call. So we went into the chamber. And because of what had happened the previous day, and given what colleagues in the NDC were saying, that uh, what was going to happen on Tuesday was going to be worse. And the champion was on air, on various platforms. That you see in Ranodie, and they did this parliament, and they Maybe you have a member of parliament talk that way. What does it mean? That perhaps the speaker has communicated to them that he's not coming. And they were resolved that they will not allow any of the speakers to vote. So we waited until we had said we were going to meet at 9. 9 o'clock, the speaker gave no indication. 10 o'clock, then we decided to, to sit. And the two, the leadership, myself, Haruna, Muntaka, my chief web, Afenyo, and the others, we came together and said, given where we are, we need to have the first deputy speaker to preside for us to take an adjournment and then hope and pray that between the day of adjournment and the day of reconvening, which we suggested possibly 18th of January, it will be a long enough time for us to put our heads together, brainstorm, to find common ground, such that when we come back on the 18th, uh, cool heads will prevail in order for us to be able to transact business. So it is why we did what we did. It was not my imposition. It was what leadership involving myself and those of us on the majority side and those of them on the minority side, we all agreed that we should adjourn sine die and hopefully come back on the 18th of January. So for emphasis, let me say that the, the spin out there that Chairman Zabuz was not uh, in, in Parliament on Tuesday is palpable on truth, that we didn't have the numbers, that is why uh, we kept waiting again another untruth. And um, I have indicated to you that the Finance Committee it was that was holding us down. The finance committee is not made up of just one side of the house. Ato Forsen was there, Adongo was there, um, John Jinapo was there, and we, 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 we had made tremendous progress that Monday. And remember, you saw some movement between um, Ato and Kokukwati. In fact, it was not until about seven that they got their report ready. And Ato even came to me. He walked to me and said he was going to follow the printing of the document in the printing room. So we were together on that. So whoever is saying that the majority was not ready, again, again, another untruth. The report, it was, that was already. But the bill had been deliberated upon and by the Finance Committee, and then they came. Now let me respond to a few of the issues that came on the floor um, on that day, when our colleagues raised issues about the president 
not indicating that the bill should be taken under the certificate of, of agency. Again, anybody who knows our orders in the Constitution would not even make that point. Why? You see, ministers assist the president in running the state efficiently, right? As provided for by the Constitution in the appointment of ministers by the president. So any minister who brings any bill is introducing the bill on behalf of the president. And I'm relating to this because the minority leader uh, produced a letter that in the case of one, I think the Minister for Lands and um, Natural Resources, the president had written that appealing that a particular bill uh, must be taken under a certificate of agency and that there was no such for the e-levy. So he thought that uh, it ought not to have been considered under a certificate of agency. First of all, to indicate to you that per Article 106.13, it is the committee of parliament that ultimately makes the determination of the agency of a bill. The president may appeal, but the determination is made by the committee. So you have 10613 providing where it is determined by a committee of parliament appointed for the purpose that a particular bill is of an urgent nature the provisions of the preceding clauses of this article other than clause one and paragraph a of clause two shall not apply and accordingly the president shall give his assent to the bill on its presentation for assent so the determination is made by the committee even if the request comes from the president. Now, how does the request come from the president? The request come from the president, if you, if you read 13, it says some provisions must be stood down. Um, it mentions in particular Article 2A, that 2A shall apply. That is, uh, 2A is in respect of the memorandum that will accompany the bill that even if it's a bill to be carried under a certificate of agency, it must have an accompanying memorandum of uh, uh, memorandum which sets out in detail the policy and principles of the bill. Now, 2B, 2B is exempted, and 2B provides that it has to be published in the Gazette at least 14 days before the date of its introduction in Parliament. If a bill is of an urgent nature, it is not. This provision is ousted. It is not published. And the bill that came from the Finance Minister had not been published, and because of that, it had no desert notification. That should tell you that the Minister is requesting us to consider it under a certificate of agency. So if you are saying that because it was not accompanied by a letter from the president, and so there was no request from the president, then you are not applying yourself to the constitution. The constitution does not talk about a letter from the president indicating that I want it considered under a certificate of agency. The imperative is established under Article 106, Clause 2B, that it must be published in the Gazette for at least 14 days and have a gazette notification, but if it is coming under a certificate, a certificate of agency, this is not required. And indeed, the minister 
did not do that. So please, you must read the standing orders and the constitution in tandem. If you don't do that, you embarrass yourself. So that was a request from the finance minister. And the committee thereafter also made the determination that it must be considered under a certificate of agency. So distinguished colleagues, that is where we are. But we are where we are because, in my view, of the genesis of the presentation of this budget. The day when this budget came to be presented, you were in the chamber, right? And we all saw that after the finance minister had walked in, we had to be at the speaker's office for close to one hour. We were not coming out. Why weren't we coming out? We we're not coming out because we had a speaker who told the finance minister that because he had not given parliament an amount of 1.72 billion that he, the speaker, has requested the finance minister to give to parliament, he, the speaker, was going to ensure that his budget was rejected. That is what happened that day. And he threatened him that this budget is going to be rejected by parliament. And even said to him that he doesn't want to remind him of what his own father did to President Hillary Liman. That was the speaker. So all that is playing out is it to satisfy what the speaker indicated at the very beginning of the presentation of the budget that this budget, you make sure the budget was rejected. Is that the case? The people of this country ought to know the mindset of this speaker with respect to this budget. So all this playing out, really, and that is why he sits and he lets to leave the chamber to create problems. Distinguished colleagues, I told you that some clergymen, the cream of the uh, of Christendom in the country, have met me. I'm not going to speak for any long time, but these people of this country should know what is leading all of us into this into this crisis. 1.72 billion for what? He says that he has information that the total revenue of this country was going to be 89 billion and that the finance minister should give him 2% of it and that works to 1.72 billion. So that was the majority leader, I'll say, Che Mensa Bunsu, who has said it is possible that the Speaker of Parliament is carrying out his plans to stall business of the House due to his insistence on getting the Minister for Finance to allocate 1.72 billion CDs to Parliament. That will be all for this edition of Eyewitness News Show, produced by Sixtus Dong Olo Elia. You heard Akosia Ofewa Opoko. My name is Zoe Abubeidu Ado. Many thanks for listening and do have a great evening.
City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-976-732 and get interactive on Facebook City 97.3 FM and Twitter at City 973.